0: Uh, Good morning. It's great to see you. My name is Luke. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm part of our preaching team. Uh, Today I bring you greetings from Redemption Gilbert. I got to be with them last week. Uh, This has actually been kind of a fun year. In addition to doing a lot of preaching here, I've uh, preached at Redemption Peoria, Arcadia, North Mountain. uh, uh, I'm doing Tucson in September. I've been at Flagstaff. I've been at Gilbert. And as I go to these different places, one of the things people will say to me is they'll say, hey, will you thank the people of Redemption Gateway for Uh, sharing you a little bit with us. And so uh, thank you uh, on behalf of those folks. And uh, I appreciate that. And it is fun to be part of this larger thing uh, called Redemption Church and to celebrate that a little bit today. Uh, You know, I have a real annoying habit. um, And I don't know if my family's ever told me how annoying this is, but I know it's annoying. Um, And, uh, you know, we, we like to watch movies as a family. And my annoying habit is that when we're watching a movie, if I'm awake it's really important to me that everyone else is awake while we watch the movie, right? Like, I'll be like, hey, are you awake? Are you awake? Abby, 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 sit up. Honey, are you awake? Right, but, but if I'm sleeping, <laughs> forget about it. I'm going to just sleep, right? We're, we're working our way through all the Marvel movies, and they get longer and longer and longer. They get so long that actually the battle scenes can put you to sleep, and so I start dozing off, and I you know, basically don't make it through most of them. Um, but it's really important to me that they stay awake, but if I'm asleep, hey, that's fine. And, and it's, it's one thing if we're kind of asleep through movies, right? If you're falling asleep through movies, that's, that's no big deal. There's other times when it's more serious, and there's a time in the Scripture that, that came to mind for me as I was preparing the message this week week as we finish our series in Colossians 4. And this is a passage from a book that we've studied here a number of times, the book of Jonah. It involves a prophet who falls asleep. But Look at what it says in Jonah chapter 1. It says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. Now, just so you understand this, this is like the Lord saying, hey, I want you to go to California and preach against it. It's a land of fruits, nuts, and flakes. Go go there. And and Jonah's like, "Uh, no, I'm not going to go there because after I preach against it, they're going to all repent and you're going to show them mercy and kindness and I don't want to do that. So I'm going to go to Texas. That's basically like directionally, literally what's going on. It's like, instead of going to he heads for Tarshish, complete opposite direction. It says, he went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. And after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. So he's not just fleeing from what the Lord told him to do. It says he's fleeing from the Lord himself. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea. And such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid. And each cried out, to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. Now, this has got to be a pretty big storm if you just think about this for a moment. The storm is so big that the professional sailors who do this all the time, it says that they are afraid, and they're all crying out to their own God. They're offloading the cargo. It says this, but Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. He's running from the Lord, He's running from God's command, and he's sound asleep. And so the captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. When I read this story, it makes me think of our world. Doesn't our world often feel like a violent, crashing storm? Even people who feel like they got life kind of figured out bump into some stuff in this world and start to go, oh no! And they cry out to whatever their God is. They begin to panic. And so often, even while everyone else is afraid, we the church are asleep. We're cozy in our own little church bed with our nice comfy church comforter and all of our redemption swag and we're cozy, and we're asleep. And I think what this passage uh, in Jonah and the passage we're going to look at in Colossians 4 here today reminds us of is that there is a world that whether they know it or not, they're, they're actually crying out to us as the people of God, how can you sleep? Don't sleep on us. Get up. Call on your God. Now, what's interesting is sometimes that that request actually takes the form of denouncing God and opposing God. But there is this sense where the world is kind of going, hey, everybody's got to do what they can do. And so this passage invites us to ask as the church, are we asleep? Are we doing all that we can do in the mission of God to bring hope to a world that is so hurting? That's where we're going to finish as we look at Colossians chapter 4. Today, Uh, we read that long passage, verse 2 through verse 18, and uh, that's what we're going to look at. Now, next week, just so you know, uh, next week we're going to start a new series, and this series is going to be kind of a three part series that will take us uh, actually to Advent, all the way to Thanksgiving. It's going to be called We Want a King. We're going to look at the lives of Saul, the lives of David, and the lives, uh, the life of Solomon. And uh, here's kind of a description of it. In 1 Peter 8, the people of Israel cry out, we want a king that we might be like all the other nations. And yet when we reject God as king, it leads to disaster. So this series that's coming up is going to center on the rise and fall of Israel's first three kings. It's going to explore themes of power and brokenness, national division, and personal failure, and cultivating a heart after God. And all these three kings reveal our desperate need that Jesus is actually our king, amen? Amen. We've been in a world that occasionally will cry out, we need a king, we have a king. We just got to look to him. So that's where we're going to go in the coming weeks. But today we're finishing Colossians. In chapter 1 and 2, we saw that Jesus is supreme over everything. In chapter 3, we saw how the supremacy of Christ therefore affects our identity, our character, our family, our work. And then in chapter 4, we're invited to consider uh, what it would look like for more people to get in on it. If Jesus is supreme over everything if he made all things, if he sustains all things, if we can have freedom from the dominion of darkness and be transferred into the kingdom of Jesus. I mean, that's good news. Aren't you glad you're in the kingdom of Jesus? And and you just see in Colossians 3 all the ways that transforms us. Well, well, what about everyone else? We're going to let everyone else get in on this, or are we going to just be asleep? So that's what we're going to look at here today. And this could feel a little bit like a throwaway section, especially because at the end you get all these names and all this stuff and whatever. Um, But in it, I actually think there's a a really powerful uh, picture of the church. Here's kind of where we're going to go today is we're going to see the picture, the purpose, and the power of the church. The church of Jesus Christ is God's plan A for the world. There is no plan B. And we're going to look at that. So let's pray. Let's ask God's help. Father, we do need your help these times of uh, chaos and these times of uh, disruption and division in our world and in our churches and even sometimes within our own families and our own hearts. We pray that you would help us to see our need for you and the way that you work through the church. Give us a picture of the church. Remind us today of the purpose of the church and God strengthen us with the power of the church. We ask that of you in Jesus' name, Amen. All right, so we're going to kind of work backwards in this text. And the first thing we're going to see is the picture of the church, that it is diverse, reconciled, and interconnected. Now, we're always tempted to make our lives about individuals. We're always tempted to make history just about individuals. And we're also tempted to make faith about individuals. We talk about so-and-so's church, and we refer to the pastor, right? Uh, we, We talk a lot about these great heroes of the faith, These great individual people who did marvelous things for God. But one of the things we realize when we come to this this book of Colossians is that actually even Paul, who we keep referring to as the author of this book, Paul, who was that great apostle, Paul, who was the persecutor of the church and became the champion of the church, even Paul was never actually alone. Do you know that? Paul was always part of a team. The, The very first verse of the book of Colossians said, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, and Timothy. He always was involved in this thing together. And what we see as we look, especially at verses 7 to 18, is this picture of the church. We see a diverse, we see a reconciled, we see an interconnected church. First, we see a diverse church. You see that there are the powerful and the powerless. An example of one of the powerful people is Tychicus in verse 7. Tychicus is the one who actually started the church in Colossae. He would have been viewed as a a really significant, powerful, leader-type person. And then we also get someone who's powerless. In verse 9, it talks about Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who's one of you. You know who Onesimus was? Onesimus was a slave who had escaped from a guy named Philemon. Paul writes a different letter to him. And when he does, Paul says to Philemon, hey, uh, he escaped. And in the meantime, he came to faith in Jesus. And now I'm bringing him back to you. But I'm not bringing him back for him to be a slave. I'm bringing him back for him to be your brother. So this is a a church. The picture of the church is there's a diversity. There's powerful people. There's wealthy people. There's influential people. There's powerless people. There's people on the fringes. There's people on the margins. There's people without much. That's a picture of the diversity of the church. Many of the names in here are men, but there's also a significant name that's a woman. Verse 15, give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. Now, we don't know much about Nympha. But we know that there's a church in her house, so she's wealthy enough to be able to have a big enough home that the whole group of people can meet there. She must be some sort of significant presence, a kind of mother of the church. So the the church is diverse. It's powerful and powerless. It's men and it's women and it's Jew and it's Gentile. Look at verse 11. Paul references these different names, these different people. He says, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they've been a comfort for me. The implication there is these are the Jewish followers of Jesus, but everyone else around me are the Gentile followers of Jesus. Yet, even in that, you get a picture of the church. This is what the church is to be. It's to be plural. It's not about one person doing all the work it, it, it's some people have said that, you know, the church, it can often be compared to like an NFL football game where you have 22 people on the field who desperately need rest, and 70,000 people in the stands who desperately need exercise. And, and Paul, and, Paul and, and Timothy in this passage are going, Hey, listen, this, everybody's involved in this. And it doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. It doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile. You can be part of this. And the beauty of the church in this setting and in our setting is this is a collection of people that don't get together otherwise. Now, here's what I know. I know a lot of you are involved in a corporate setting where there's all this DEI stuff around diversity, equity, inclusion, and it's a lot of checking boxes, and it's a lot of stuff that just feels like window dressing and people pleasing and politically correct, eye service stuff. That's not what we're celebrating when we come to the church. What we're celebrating is real, true diversity in unity. What we're celebrating is that the church on earth is a picture of the kingdom of heaven. Look at what it says in Revelation chapter 7. John looks and he sees, behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Our unity is not around our diversity, equity, and inclusion. Our unity is around the Lamb. And when we draw to the Lamb, we see people from every nation, tribe, and tongue. We're a diverse people. That's a picture of the church. But we're not just diverse. We're also reconciled. You can miss this. And you have to be a little familiar with some of the backstory. But there's a, a picture of reconciliation in verse 10. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. Now, about 12 years earlier, and you can read about it in Acts chapter 15... Now, Paul and Barnabas had been on a mission trip, and they had taken a long Mark. And partway through, Mark didn't want to keep going, and they had a, a serious split, a division, right? Sometimes if there's a division in a church or disagreement among leaders, you'll hear people talk about a kind of Paul and Barnabas split. Well, the Paul and Barnabas split was over Mark, and Paul was the one saying, Mark's a loser, Mark's a quitter. Uh, The two kinds of people we're not looking for on my mission trip are quitters and losers, and Mark is both, so we don't need Mark, right? That's kind of the gist you get from Acts chapter 15. And now here, 12 years later, what does it say? Hey, Mark's coming. Welcome him. See, the church is not just a picture of diversity. It's a picture of reconciliation. It's a picture of forgiveness. It's a picture of people who let each other down and then forgive. It's a picture of people who say the wrong thing and then own it. And people who were hurt by what the wrong thing they said was and who forgive. It's a picture of mistakes made and water under the bridge and forgiveness and reconciliation. It's a diverse, reconciled, and finally, an interconnected community. I just want us to consider the interconnection of this. First of all, we have just Paul and Timothy who are not leaders in Colossae and yet they're experiencing a kind of influence and a kind of leadership, right? This would be similar to the kind of leadership that I get to have when I go to, uh, when I go to Redemption Gilbert, when I go to one of these other congregations where I don't have any real authority over them and I'm surely not an apostle, I'm not saying that, but there's the sense in which there's other leaders that are getting to speak into a local congregation. You may not know this, but Aaron Day Who was at the beginning of that winter camp video has had a tremendous voice in shaping Redemption Gateway, even though you don't know him, because he helped shape me and he helped shape our leaders. And so we're part of this interconnected, larger whole. And we're also part of this regional church. Look at what it says in verse 16. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. So Laodicea and Colossae were nearby cities. And what Paul's saying is, hey, going, hey, hey. This isn't just you. In Colossae, this is you and you're part of this larger region. You're part of this larger network. This is what I love about Redemption Church. Is it gives a picture of what's real. What's real is we are interconnected. Uh, I think it was... I guess it would have been around Christmas time. Around Christmas time this year, I went uh, down to, took my kids down to Rock Point, Rock Point Church, uh, just down on Power Road. They do an unbelievable uh, Christmas thing, Christmas light thing. And they got s'mores and they got hot chocolate and they got the whole thing. I mean, it is like to the nines. They do it up. And I take my kids there and I ran into somebody who had been to Gateway a few times and they're like, hey, what are you doing here? <laughs> I was like, uh, Taking my kids to the sweetest light show in town? I don't know. What are you doing here? And he said, are you checking out the competition? I said, man, here's what you got to understand. Rock Point's not our competition. Our competition is brunch. (laughs) You know that, right? Our competition's not Sun Valley, and it's not Central, and it's not Amadeo, and it's not Rock Point, and it's not Redemption Gilbert, and it's not Redemption Alhambra, and it's not Redeemer, and it's not Shepherd's House. It's not any the, that's not our competition. Our competition is a world that is like going, I think I'll go to the lake, because you guys got nothing. Now, we're part of a larger whole, aren't we? That's what the picture of the church is supposed to be, this diverse, this reconciled, this interconnected reality that is supposed to be this preview to the world of what the kingdom of God is like. That's why the picture of the church is significant. The picture of the church is beautiful. But the picture of the church is not just to be a picture of the kingdom of God. It's actually to be an agent of the kingdom of God, which takes us to the purpose of the church. The purpose of the church we find in this passage is to proclaim and demonstrate the gospel. That's our purpose. On one hand, yes, we have to love one another, we have to be united, we have to forgive one another, we have to be this this sign of the kingdom of God. But we're not just a sign of the kingdom of God, we're agents of the kingdom of God. We are bringing the kingdom of God to bear with God's help by the Spirit. Now, there's a lot of things that we do as a church, right? There's a a book called The Purpose-Driven Church where Rick Warren outlines these five different purposes, the purpose of fellowship and discipleship and worship and service and evangelism, right? We build relationships, we serve one another, and we have fun, and we do all these things. But let me tell you this. There's only one of those five things that you can't do in eternity. Let me read you the list again. Fellowship, discipleship, worship, service, evangelism. Four of those you can do in eternity. Four of those you will do in eternity, and it'll be way better than here. Fellowship? You will have that in eternity. Times a billion. Discipleship? That means growing in your faith? You'll be able to, like, hey, Paul, can I get 15 minutes on your, like, I got some questions. You're allowed to disciple. Worship? Some of you are tempted to think heaven will be boring because there'll be so much worship. You won't need earplugs, though, in heaven. it will be be perfectly attuned to your eardrum. Uh, Service, will you serve in the kingdom of heaven? Well, of course, because you're never more like Jesus than when you serve. But what about evangelism? Sharing your faith with people that don't have faith. Will you do that in the new heavens and new earth? No, you can't, because there won't be anybody that doesn't have faith. But now there is. And so this is our purpose. This is our calling. This is why God has left us here to proclaim and to demonstrate the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have to declare the mystery of Christ. That's one of the things Paul says in verse three. He says, at the same time, pray for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. Sometimes people will uh, quote, I forget exactly who said this. One of you will remind me after this, but it doesn't really matter. But there's a famous quote that says, preach the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words. To which I want to say, "Eh." false. Now, I get the point of the quote. Preach the gospel at all times with your life. We're going to talk about that in a moment. But what do you mean, if necessary, use words. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the words. (laughs) There's no faith without hearing. You can't preach the gospel without words. And I'm just so encouraged by verse 3 that the Apostle Paul here is going, hey, sometimes I don't know how to make it clear. <laughs> Some of you are like, oh, good, I feel better. Because when I try to share my faith, I don't know what I'm talking about either. Well, neither did Paul. He says, pray for me, help me. And notice he says in verse 3, not kick down a door for the word, but pray that, that there would be an open uh, door for the gospel. Pray that instead of kicking down doors of opportunity, that I would just walk through doors of opportunity, that God would open up doors. Some of you have spent a lot of time getting frustrated by, uh, by your sharing the faith because you're doing it wrong. And here, listen, I don't mean the technique, but I just mean like you're not going where there's open doors. Do you know where there's open doors? Think about this. Everyone who ever gets baptized and shares their story, it basically goes like this. My life was going pretty good, and then it wasn't. And when it wasn't, when I was bottoming out, when I realized my thing wasn't working anymore, someone came in and they gave me hope. So, you want to have effective gospel conversations, look for the people at the bottom. Right? Look for the people not the not the green apples who aren't ripened by pain and suffering. Look for the red apples. Share the gospel with them. So we proclaim and we demonstrate the gospel. We got to do this by walking in wisdom toward outsiders, it says in verse five. So this is the demonstration. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so you may know how you ought to answer each person. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Now, we got to say this. Before we walk in wisdom toward outsiders, we got to walk in wisdom toward each other. This is one of the verses that grieves me the most in our hyper-partisan political age, because we just assume everyone agrees with me, or they should, because if they don't, they're an idiot. That's what we think. And, and we're insulated enough, right? There's this thing. Sociologists study it. It's called false consensus effect. Have You ever heard of false consensus effect? Well, we do it all the time, right? This is like when someone comes to me and they go like, hey, uh, a bunch of us have been talking about this uh, thing, this decision you guys made with the church, and we just really don't like it. A, a bunch of, a, a ton of people will totally agree with us. You're like, really? Who? Well, my wife. Um, and a bunch of people, right? And you're like, come on. No, no, just you and your wife, man. Like, but this this false consensus effect. And we do this all the time, right? So we think everybody agrees with us about everything, and so we launch these grenades and these things, and we don't think about how it affects people, right? So this is one of the invitations even right now in our moment as a country. Like I, I recorded a video, it went out on Friday. Uh, I'm rejoicing over this recent decision by the Supreme Court uh, to strike down Roe versus Wade, to say there's not a constitutional base for that, to send that back to the States. I'm rejoicing in that, I think that's wonderful news. I also think, there's a ton of people who don't agree with that. And if we now go, idiots, well, let me tell you how effective are you going to be as a missionary if your opening line is, hey, idiot? Not to mention that there's lots of complicated things, right? Like even Arizona and Seth and I actually are going to record a podcast today. Our King Culture podcast will release it, God willing, tomorrow. And uh, one of the things that, that we're going to talk about is how complicated it is in Arizona. It's like nobody knows what to do. There's two laws on the book. One that is 158 years old when Arizona was a territory. One that was signed in March but doesn't go into effect till September. That the Republicans in the legislature aren't going to want anyway. It's a mess. And so there's people who might go, yeah, I rejoice in the fact that, that many unborn lives will be saved, but I'm also nervous about what does this mean for this and this and this? Do we have compassion toward that? Do we have understanding toward that? Yes, we rejoice, but we also go, I'm going to walk in wisdom. See, we, we lose that, though, if our focus is, is i got to be right. i got to make my point. i got to be heard. Oh, wait, wait, wait. So you're a missionary of the Republican Party? Because I kind of thought we were missionaries of Jesus. That's our purpose. To declare the mystery of Christ. Not the greatest wisdom on every part is an issue. To declare the mystery of Christ. To walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Notice, even in verse 6, it says, Have your speech seasoned with salt so you ought to know how to answer each person. Answer means you're actually listening. What are they saying? How do I answer them? Not to go wham, ha ha, gotcha. But to, to, not to try to win over them, to try to win them. It's interesting. Even when we started the church, we would talk about how our purpose is to reach people who don't know Christ yet. And sometimes people would get nervous about that. They'd say, well, I thought church was to, you know, just grow believers. And we go, well, it's, that's a false dichotomy. It's to grow believers and to reach non-believers. And it was interesting. The people that would give all this pushback about how yeah, we're being too mission focused. I don't know. Everything changed when they invited a friend to church. Because when you invite someone to church, you, you've done this. A lot of you do this. More than half of you invite someone that doesn't go to church every year. You invite them here. And I know on those Sundays, you're going, oh gosh, some of you right now today are like, he's making me nervous right now. I wish he, uh, this was a bad week. Why did they have to say yes today, right? (laughs) But you just, the whole thing's different when you're thinking through someone who doesn't share your convictions. Listen, if we're missionary people, we don't have the option To check out of that. And and here's what I I don't want to be the reason that you don't invite someone to church. And listen, I don't want you to be the reason that someone doesn't invite someone to church. Walk in wisdom. The purpose of the church we proclaim, we demonstrate. What's going to give us power to keep doing that? Because that's really hard. I don't know is that like strategically skill-wise hard, but it's just, it's hard to keep doing that because so much of what we do, right? Like like if you just look at the parable of the four soils, it means like 75% of people just aren't interested in anything we're doing. How do you keep going? That takes us finally to the power of the church, which is unrelenting prayer. Look at verse 2. He says, continue steadfastly in prayer. This word means devote yourselves to prayer. It's a continual, ongoing commitment that doesn't relent, that doesn't back down, that doesn't stop. You never give God rest. You never stop doing this. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. This is our power. And some of the reason why we're neglectful in our purpose, some of the reason why we're not the kind of picture that is actually irresistible to the world is because we've lost the power. We do it in our own strength. We think it's in our own cleverness. We think it's in our own skill. No, it's in the power of God. And I just want to ask this question. What if our unrelenting griping about the lostness of the world became unrelenting prayer instead? The disciples were sent out by Jesus to cast out demons and to heal the sick. And there was one boy who kept convulsing. They couldn't do it. And they said, well, what's going on, Jesus? And Jesus said, you know, the devil's in too deep. This kind only comes out through prayer. The devil's too deep, friends. You can't change the world without prayer. So that's how we finish this book, a picture of the church. It's a beautiful picture, a purpose for the church and the power of the church, this unrelenting prayer. Now, I think this is just wonderful, just how this lines up. We didn't really plan it this way, but this is pretty cool. In light of this passage, it's saying, hey, there's a church that is a beautiful picture of Jesus' love for his people. That church has a mission, and in order for that mission to succeed, we need to pray. This just lines up perfectly because actually, in just a couple days, we're sending a team from Redemption Gateway to one of our overseas mission fields, uh, the nation of Turkey, and uh, so I'm going to invite up the team that's uh, headed to Turkey. Uh, you guys come on up and while they come up. Yeah. Uh, Turkey is a nation just so you know of about 80 million people. They estimate that there's somewhere between 7 or 8,000 Christians. It's a very difficult place, and yet you're able to share the gospel freely. And we're partnered with a number of church plants and workers uh, that are doing work there. And so this group right here uh, is the group that we're actually sending. They're going to be gone for almost two weeks. And what they're going to do is go to Turkey to pray. Now, when someone's sick in the hospital, uh, if you you have to, you just text them, hey, I'm praying for you. But if you can, you go and you say, hey, I want to pray for you there. And so this group, I think this is just so cool. We're going to send a missions group, and it's like, what are you going to be doing? Praying. And I know some of you are like, well, that's a waste of money. Hey, did you just read Colossians 4? It's the power. So Mark, uh, this is Mark Burns. He's our community and global initiatives pastor. Mark, will you tell everybody about this trip? What are you guys doing?
1: Yeah, so when we were putting this trip together... Uh, We did it because a church that I'm friends with, with the Pastor Emre, who was here about a month ago, he said, we are trying to reach out to our community that's around us, and much like this church did when it was first being planted, they go and they prayer walk those communities, and just to ask God, to cry out to God, to soften people's hearts, to show them people, uh, to pray for, and to invite them to the church. So we'll be walking around about six different communities. And this place in Istanbul is on the outskirts. It's much like Queen Creek, where people are flocking to Istanbul for work and jobs. Uh, But there's all the homes are here on these outskirts neighborhoods. And we'll be able to pray in those neighborhoods. But then if conversations do happen, we'll be able to guide them and direct them back to a church where someone who knows Turkish, who knows the culture, uh, could be able to share with them in a wise way. So, so this is quite a team. I mean,
0: we've got a junior high pastor and a stay-at-home mom and a police officer and a recently retired accountant and a real estate, I don't know, ninja real estate guru guy for Intel and, and then some young folks. I mean, this is amazing. Quite a, quite a
1: picture, actually, of that diverse church. Why are these people going? Yeah, so with these mission trips, Especially the guy in the end. Why is he yeah. going? <laughs> so we'll start with him. I actually have like three different types of people. And some people, they overlap on these criteria. Um, the first one being an advocate. Someone that when someone goes, hey, I hear that we... Uh, care about Turkey, what's that about? That they could be able to share because they've been there and they're excited about it and they're like a cheerleader. And of course, that's what Reese is. Um, but then also, uh, someone who has a heart already and is coming to our Turkey prayer meetings or is saying, hey, God has blessed me, I wanna give. And they want to know more. It's one thing to hear from others, But to go and experience it firsthand allows them to be able to invest even more in their prayer life and financially. And then also the reality of we would love for people to go. uh, Like long term. Long term. And to be able to experience that and to say, God, what are you doing? Um, And to see it firsthand and not to go, yeah, I want to go, but I don't know anything about it let's go on an easy experience first. Yeah. So we have uh, advocates, supporters, and then potential goers are, who are on this team. Very cool,
0: very cool. Well, Mark lived and his family lived for 15 years in Turkey and uh, especially for Sam and Joy, this is a, I'm just thrilled for you. I'm uh, just as your friend, I'm delighted you get to kind of go home for a bit and for the rest of you, I hope you have a great time. Uh, Miss Jacks, make sure we get Miss Jacks some special Turkish ice cream, okay? Make sure you get her
1: a, a, a Turkish ice cream cone. Um, anything you wanna say before we pray for you? I do, I wanna say that we're really excited to go. It, everyone has expressed just how much of an honor it is and we're grateful. Uh, so many of you have come alongside Uh, some of the individuals who are raising support for this for us to be able to go in general just as a church we're grateful for your support and blessing us in this way
0: yeah well thanks for putting this passage into action and I I hope that even as you come back that it will give you guys all just a sense of like this is what's needed here is praying for the mission praying for the open doors praying for the gospel clarity so if you guys would all kind of bunch up here on this rug and I'll uh, pray for you uh, and uh, if you all would stand, please. And if you're uh, if you're willing to, just kind of extend a hand toward them, as if you're placing a hand on their shoulder, and let's pray for these guys. Father, thank you so much for your work that's happening around the world. Uh, God, thank you for the doors that are opening here and the doors that are opening in Turkey. And God, I pray for this team. I pray that um, they would experience your blessing and your presence. God, when there's obstacles, when there's tensions, when there's frustrations, when there's plans that change, would you allow them to have the fruit of the Spirit and to bear with it? And God, would you use their prayers to bring about the reality that other people, many people in in Turkey through Emre's church and through other uh, churches there would come to faith in you, that they would trust that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, that there's no way to the Father but through him. God, would you open doors for the gospel? Uh, Would you uh, do that through their prayers? We ask it of you in Jesus' great name. Amen. 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 You guys can stay here for a second. And uh, you, can, you can stay standing. We're going to, um, that's really it for today. There's no music at the end. So that's, uh, some of you are like, good, I got to get to the bathroom. Well, just hold on a second. Um, so let me uh, send us out with this benediction. Uh, if you need prayer, by the way, there'll be folks in the back right of, or back left of the room who need, who will be there to pray for you. I'll be in the front right. Mark will be there. Uh, we'd love to talk with you. Let me send us out. We are not leaving the church. We are leaving as the church. May God open doors to share his good news with our words and lives. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Love you guys. Have a good week.